Hi, I'm Jason Nichols, and I'm on the left. And I'm Vince Colonnese, and I'm on the right. And, and if, if we, we can't, can't find, find common, common ground, ground in this world, world today, today, then we're all just travelers. Passing each other in an international airport. And this great American experiment will be relegated to the trash bin of history. So let's come together to debate without yelling. And, and let's, let's save, save this, this nation. nation. Stuff our president says invading Australia and Dave Chappelle as another Vincent Jason save the nation. I commuted every single day for 36 years as pres- vice president of the United States. When do we invade Australia and free and oppress people who are suffering under a totalitarian regime? But the reality is that the only way we're going to get to a place where we work through this transition is if everyone in America and everyone around the world gets vaccinated. But if they are adamant and they don't want you to teach uh, what is going to be taught, period, they're going to have to homeschool their kids. Vincent Jason Save the Nation is brought to you by Gold Co. Hey guys, welcome back to Vincent Jason Save the Nation. We got a lot in store for you. Vince, let's let them know what's up. That's right. All right. Well, Joe Biden, president of the United States, was uh, in one of his hometowns of Scranton, Pennsylvania this week uh, in order to sell his, quote, build back better agenda. Um, by the way, I've never I've do you like build back better as just like a phrasing the I know it's alliterative, but do you think it's uh, do you think it's a good pitch? Build back better sounds like Arnold Schwarzenegger explaining how he's going to strengthen your back muscles. <laughs> Build back better. Well, let, <laughs> well, I'll tell you, I, I would love for Arnold Schwarzenegger to tell me how to build my back muscles. There but, you go. Uh, so I, I think it's okay. I, you know, I don't think it's like, you know, it's not one of these like great uh, mm-hmm. slogans, political slogans that we've had. You know, I mean, I got to say as much as I can't stand what's behind it. I mean, make America great again was a great slogan. I mean, it was just really good. Um, So I don't think build back better is, is that on that level, or even, you know, I I think one of the things that was really effective was the term Obamacare. Uh You know what I mean? Because it was like, when you broke it down, it sounded like Obama cares. (laughs) So I was, I actually, when he said, you know, they tried to like the right tried to make it a bad thing. And he was like, Mm -hmm. I like it. You know, mm-hmm. and many Americans did. So I, I actually don't think it's like the greatest, but I don't think it's that bad. I think it's yeah, fine. yeah, yeah, yeah. It kind of reminds me of what was Melania Trump's thing that she that she had. It was called um oh what was it? something about her, bullying? What was that called? Her education, uh, be best, be be best. <laughs> it never made any sense to me. I don't even know what that really means. I mean, yeah, I guess I, I, I understand the underlying premise. It's like you should be your best, but it felt like it was missing a word or two. Uh, yeah. But but build back better. It's like it's always been. Eh. I'm not sure if I'm on board, but here's Joe Biden this week. He's uh, in Scranton and uh, he's explaining his life. Uh, It's been a long one. I'd ride every day. I I commuted every single day for 36 years as vice president of the United States. After my wife and daughter were killed, I went home to see my family never stopped. Okay, what do we make of like the kind of the nonstop stream of these things? Like, obviously, he wasn't vice president for 36 years. Right. We saw we did see like earlier this year um, uh, some reports that, you know, there are members of the White House staff. Uh, this is the kind of thing. This is a gaffe that doesn't really mean anything. But there are members of the White House staff who who cringe and will shut the the TV off when the president speaks uh, because they're worried about what he's going to say when he's up there. And in fact, you're Jen Psaki. She said in an interview with uh, 
David Axelrod earlier this year that, um, you know, they can't control him, obviously, because he's the president of the United States, but they try and keep him from doing too many questions. Um, It is a weird thing to have a president of the United States who's, who's in this state right now. Yeah, I, again, I think that this means absolutely nothing. Um, this is, you know, to use a hackneyed political term, this is a nothing burger. Um, I, I really, you know, I, I don't understand why the right gets like all hyped about, oh, he messed up. He was a senator and not a, you know, not a, uh, not the vice president. Like these kinds of, of small gaffes, which by the way, he's been doing for 36 years. <laughs> like he's, he's pretty much always kind of fumbled these things. Uh, said something that people are like, what? What are you saying? This this isn't new for Joe Biden. This is he's always, uh, you know, when it comes to thinking on his feet, he he sometimes fumbles words. Mm-hmm. And it was the same thing for George W. Bush, um, who, by the way, I think was a lot smarter and more cunning and you know, arguably more evil than people, you know, gave him credit for. You know, everybody made it seem like somebody else. It was Karl Rove. It was uh, you know, Dick Cheney, but I think George W. Bush actually had more, uh, you know, of a decision-making role in his administration than people gave him credit for. But he just you don't think talk? You don't think the same that, thing? Yeah, yeah. You don't think that it's accelerated though? Yeah, you're right. Joe Biden's been gap run for throughout his career. You don't think it's it's markedly different than it was, say, ten years ago? Yeah, I mean, he's you know, he's he's slowed down a little bit. You know, his his fastball slowed down a little mm-hmm. bit, but you know. Remember this um, came up. Remember this came up during the campaign in the Democrat primary. There was uh, one of the debates became a whole thing about. You just said that, Joe. Or you did you forget you said that? You no, but that? that was wrong. That was uh, Julian Castro who said that, mm-hmm. and he was wrong. <laughs> like, no, Julian Castro was wrong about that. I don't remember the exact statement because I remember I went on, uh, you know, television or or I think I believe it was actually on Roland Martin's show. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were talking about that and Julian Castro, when he said that he had said something a second ago, you don't remember what you just said. Um, that actually was wrong because that wasn't what he just said, you know? <laughs> um, so again, I, I think he's, he's, again, his fastball slowed down. I don't know anybody who's, you know, near 80 years old, who's, who hasn't slowed even a little bit, sure. um, mm-hmm. you know, unless it's, uh, you know, Bernie Sanders hitting those bank shots uh, from, from five feet away. He looked pretty, he looked pretty sharp. Um, the Lakers well, here, need to sign him. But I, I think, right. you know, I, I don't think that this is, it doesn't reach the level of, oh, he can't govern. I mean, I don't think Donald Trump's fastball was ever that sharp. You know what I mean? He's an entertainer and he's always been entertaining, but you know, we, we've seen him say things and answer questions and walk out of interviews when he didn't want to answer questions. Uh-huh. So I don't, I don't see why this is such a big deal. Yeah. Not Although funny. Trump did give us his medical records and Biden hasn't done that yet. He Although won't the White tell House, you why he was in the hospital that one time. He won't tell us why he was in the hospital that one time. When he went to Walter Reed, there was like a mystery, a mystery Reed, yeah. visit to Walter Reed or something. Right. Yeah. Let us know. If it, yeah, if it, you know. I agree. Yeah, let us know. We're I think we're entitled to know that. If if they're entitled to tell us what we have to inject into our bodies, we're entitled to ask like, <laughs> "Hey, you healthy? How you holding up?" <laughs> um, let's uh let's speaking of pitches, let's go to a, a woman who uh who I don't think you like her pitches very much. Candace Owens uh <laughs> in a monologue uh this week was talking about Australia and the way the government has been treating its own people during the COVID lockdowns. 
And uh, this clip has been flying around the internet. Take a look and then uh, Jason and I will discuss. When do we deploy troops to Australia? When do we invade Australia and free and oppress people who are suffering under a totalitarian regime? When do we spend trillions of dollars to spread democracy in Australia? Australia currently, make no mistake, is a tyrannical police state. Its citizens are quite literally being imprisoned against their will. So when do we deploy? All right, Vince, uh, I'm going to ask you what you think. You know, like, what, what exactly is she getting at? I, I'm, un, I'm unclear. Okay, just that clip alone, I know you think is completely insane, right? Do I have that right? Yes, yes. Okay, the idea that we, <laughs> you would, have that, you have that that right. we would deploy and invade Australia. Okay. But, but no, I, I'm wondering what the point is. Is she saying so, that war is wrong? Is she criticizing the war in Afghanistan? Yes, you, she, you've nailed it. You've nailed it. It's exactly right. That's exactly it, what she was doing. But but that wasn't the purpose for the war in Afghanistan. You and I have talked about this. No, no, it's totally right. But but in the you know the purpose of course changed in Afghanistan. It became about you know all this this sprawling well, mission. Then we're going to build democracy. But she was making she was making a point that I know you would agree with. This is this is the the fundamental point because I saw this clip too. The clip that we just shared is the clip that's going around the internet right now where everyone's like, Candace Owens is calling for invading Australia. So I went and I actually went back and found her monologue to, to see what she had to say. And, and I my suspicion was that she was making sort of a broader point about like, we should stop invading other countries and, and installing democracies. But in the meantime, all the people who are in charge, if the standard is, oh, if you see tyranny, we should invade and install democracy, then hello, look at Australia and see what's going on there. So she was making two points. Yeah, I... I the, the, fir the first point she was making, which again was cut out of all of that clip, was she was just talking about like all of the patterns of behavior by the Australian government during the COVID lockdowns. You know, Melbourne this day on today uh, just came out of like 267 days of lockdown, one of the longest lockdowns on the entire planet. And they had all these restrictions, like people couldn't leave their house, certainly not after 9 p.m. You know, they had a curfew. If you do leave your house, you have to stay within like one or two miles. Your mask better be on, including when you're outdoors. In the limited circumstances where you can pull your mask down to drink like a cup of coffee. I saw a video out of Australia uh, a week ago. A cop comes up to a guy and grabs his coffee cup and says, let me see, is there anything in there? And he spins it around to feel the coffee and he hands it back to me. He goes, okay, sir, you can keep going. I mean, this is it's insane. So she's um she was referring to all of this. And then she was like, OK, and then, by the way, if like if our if if our leaders think that it's a good idea to invade countries and to install democracies, when do we invade Australia? And right yeah, at the end of that clip, when she says, when do we invade Australia again? Right after that, the next sentence she says is I asked that question in jest, of course. And yeah. so that got clipped out. And so that thing's flying around the internet right now, like Candace Owens wants to invade Australia. No, I, so if that's the way people are, you know, interpreting it, I, I mean, I realized she was trying to make some larger point. Yeah. But her larger point to me, number one, doesn't make sense because it's a false equivalency, which is, you know, what she does best. Um, this idea that duly elected people, if you disagree with what they're saying, there are many ways that you can get rid of people who are elected in Australia, because it is, you know, a, a democratic republic. Now, that's very different than the government that you had 
under the Taliban, number one. Number two, our purpose to go to Afghanistan and fight that war was not to nation build. The idea was now we're here, we owe it to the people after we've already bombed their country to, to build it back up, you know, kind of like what we did in Europe and other countries and to give, you know, make sure that they have a stable government before we leave. That was a failure. I think it was a bad idea altogether. You know, that's a different conversation. Mm -hmm. But to compare Australia and, you know, I don't like these public health measures from our duly elected people that I voted for, uh, that I can vote out, by the mm -hmm. way, uh, versus uh, the Taliban, because I think at some point she says, you know, what's the difference between the Taliban and Australia? There are lots of differences. You know, women can't go to school in Afghanistan under the Taliban or couldn't go to school in Afghanistan under the Taliban. You know, uh, people religious can't go minorities. outside. It was, it was a completely different situation. And I think it's a false equivalency. Now, if she wanted to make this point about war, she could have done it using probably two dozen different countries in the world. You know uh -huh. what I mean? But she used Australia. Like, that's dumb. Uh, and, you know, I don't like to use the word dumb. You know, I criticized, uh, you know, our, our good friend Tucker Carlson. I was like, yo, stop calling people dumb. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, you know, find some other way to describe people uh, rather than just calling them dumb. Mm -hmm. And I'm not calling anyone dumb, but I'm calling that idea dumb. Because I, I think that there is a way that you can illustrate this point um, that I think Candace and I would both agree on, which is probably the only thing we would agree on ever. Uh, we would both agree that we shouldn't go into other countries, uh, depose their leaders, and then, um, uh, you know, try and install democracies. And, yeah, try and mm -hmm. install which, which largely are puppet democracies. And we've seen this, you know, so many times over and over in the Middle East and in that part of Asia, you know, um, and we, we've done that and it's never worked, ever. You know, I can't think of a situation where it worked out well for the people there. Mm -hmm. There are many ways to illustrate that point. Using Australia is a false equivalency and is ridiculous. I, I think she was, make, she was taking a glancing blow at our leaders and just being like, look, if you, are, if you think that like it's a good idea to invade these countries and put democracies in, why not Australia? It was like, it was kind of like a sprawling point, but... Again, I, a point that I think you basically agree with, which is just like we shouldn't be in the business of of smashing our way into countries and installing governments. Um, and so anyway, I just think that the clip that's been getting around has totally misrepresented the point that she was making, of course. And uh, and I, I think that you and, and she have more agreement, at least on the, the foreign policy side. Now, on the domestic side, where you said you were talking about the comparisons between the Taliban and the Afghanistan and sorry, and uh, the Australian government. Um, you're right. I mean, there's obvious major differences in severity, but there are obviously tyrannical impulses in both. And in Australia, the idea like, oh, women can't drive in with, uh, with the Taliban or whatever limitations they might have. In Australia, you couldn't leave your house. I mean, there were like people, people like went out for walks and then or and uh, happened to be caught on a video camera coughing. And then there were manhunts announced in their regions of Australia for them. It just got it grew completely out of control. Yeah. And and uh I think it's okay to say that. I mean, look at the, 
Look at the resistance protests and riots we've seen in the streets of Australia. You've yeah, had- I mean, uh, their, their lockdowns are ending uh, as they are in New Zealand. I think New Zealand uh, announced today that they're ending their lockdown as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the United States has lost, uh, we're almost up to 750,000 people to COVID. It's the largest killer of police officers um, in this country. And in Australia, they've lost 1,500 people. Mm-hmm. Um, so in terms of public health, you know, it seems like Australia is doing relatively well when we compare it to the United States. Um, I'm not condoning what they're doing there. I, you know, to be honest, everything that I've seen about it is largely from you know partisan media. So I don't, I don't really want to make a, a judgment one way or the other about the extent of their lockdowns. Um, uh, I, I definitely think if you're chasing people because they cough outdoors you know, while they're taking a walk, that's ridiculous. Yeah. And that's absurd. Um, And, you know, but I also think that you can take one situation um, and then cast a broad net over a system. And this is one of the the arguments that the right likes to make about, you know, um, police murders of, of black people. You know, they say, oh, well, that happened in that one area and that one time, that one mm-hmm. place. It's not a systemic issue, um, despite, you know, all the research to the contrary. But the, the whole thing is, you know, I think we can do that in, in some occasions on, and on some occasions um, on many different topics. So I don't want to make a, a judgment about Australia, um, but I do know Australia, living in Australia is not like living under the Taliban in the 90s. That's absurd, mm-hmm. you know? And I think the Australian people, if they're honest anyway, honest Australian people would say that's absurd. You know, the, the, uh, you know, living under that kind of theocratic, violent regime and comparing it to, you know, what goes on in Australia, I, I just think that that's a bad comparison. If you wanna make a comparison to, uh, about Afghanistan and the nation building that we've tried to do there, and the uh, regime change wars, which I'm totally against. Um, and I think Candace and you and me, we would all agree on that. You want to make a point about that? There's a, at least two dozen countries you could, you could probably use in that comparison. Australia is not one of them. Let's uh, take a moment to uh, thank one of our sponsors who makes this all possible. And that would be Grunt Style who have been outfitting uh, so many of the veterans that we've sent to many of these wars. Uh, and uh, those, those are great guys. They hire uh, hundreds of veterans. They hire hundreds more of Americans as well. And they produce great apparel. Jason and I both wearing grunt style today. Uh, and uh, it's cool. It's, again, it's not just for veterans. Guys like Jason and I can wear it too. And, uh, and we love it. Grunt Style is right. an awesome company, supports awesome people, takes care of veterans in their need after they get back from war. Uh, and you can support them and, you know, and also just get some great duds by going to gruntstyle.com and entering the promo code STN, that stands for Save the Nation, STN, and they'll give you 10% off of your order, which is cool. And uh, Jason, I know, you know, we've got the hoodies uh, coming up, you know, now things are starting to get a little colder uh, and uh, I'm getting some Grunt Style hoodies. I'm going to be able to ride out the cold weather in Grunt Style. Absolutely. And I, and I just want everyone to know I'm still going to be peeing outside. Thank you. Thank you, know. you for telling us. So watch your step. <laughs> watch your step. <laughs> Pretty good. All right. So thanks to the guys at Grunt Style. Uh, promo code STN. Let's uh, let's jump into our next clip here. Uh, let's see what we got. 
We have a man on ABC News who's blaming the unvaccinated for the supply chain crisis. Take a look. What is sitting in all these containers behind us? Everything. <laughs> Longshoremen telling me some of these containers have been sitting here for six months with a shortage of truck drivers to get the goods on the highway and into stores. It's not just making things harder to find, it's making them more expensive. Today we face an economy that's in transition. And as part of that transition, we are seeing high prices for some of the things that people have to buy. But the reality is that the only way we're going to get to a place where we work through this transition is if everyone in America and everyone around the world gets vaccinated. Bruh. Um, Oz, this doesn't have to be unpleasant. Homer, uh, with all due respect, what the f are you talking about? All right, so at least one guy there blaming um, the unvaccinated for the supply chain crisis. Although, it does seem to me, uh, Jason, that the vaccine mandates imposed by you know both corporate America and definitely the Biden administration um, are going to lead to only further supply chain problems as uh, people are forced right out of the workforce. Well, uh, that remains to be seen. We'll we'll see. Uh, you know which. Um, you know, employers uh, and, 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 you know, which groups actually uh, have trouble with, with the vaccine mandates. Um, lots of different industries have imposed vaccine mandates prior to the U.S. government um, calling for them, and they really haven't had a whole lot of trouble. They've lost a few workers, maybe, but for the most part, people have gone and gotten the vaccine and, and, uh, it's been business as usual. So private industry has been doing this for a while. Private industry thanked the government because now, you know, they don't have to do it themselves. They can say, hey, it's it's Biden. Um, so I, I don't think that that's, you know, we'll, we'll see how that actually turns out and um, how that works out. But this, the current supply chain issue um, is not due to, at least from what I've read, is not due to unvaccinated people, but it's also not due to vaccine mandates. You know, it, it's um, due to a whole lot of things, you mm -hmm. know, um, natural disasters, um, cyber attacks, you know, all, all kinds of things have led, China's issues um, have led to uh, the supply chain issue. So I, I don't necessarily think that either the left or the right can make this some sort of, and this is global. So uh -huh. you can't, the left and the right can't make this a partisan issue. Like, well, big you know, one. And like this, this is bigger than that. You well, know? big one is government spending. The big one is government spending. And the reason I say that is not just because I came up with it, but because the Biden administration said as much to reporters last week in a press call that the March $1.9 trillion COVID relief package that was passed by the Biden administration and the Democrats in control of Congress ended up resulting in a lot of people having a lot more disposable income at, to use at their yeah. disposal. Over and spending. they started they started buying a bunch of different products and as a result, stressed our supply chains and, and depleted the inventory and, uh, and created these backlogs. So there, there is that. Now, I'm worried about the inflationary side a lot because I think that's gonna, that's, uh, it will obviously fall on the, the poorest among us the hardest. But the supply chains themselves stressed by sort of the cash can as we loaded up and fired into the American economy, that's contributing. As you're right, there's a lot of factors here in COVID, 
just, you know, inventories depleted while there were lockdowns going on, things were not being moved. But now just to see like 60 container ships or whatever the number is at the moment, hanging off the court, the, the coast of California, waiting to be able to get those supplies into port. You have uh, California state law, which precludes independent owner operators who run the, who drive these trucks. The majority of truck drivers are independent owner operators. They can't get into the state if their truck is older than a certain age or their engine is older than a certain age because of environmental standards that California's imposed. So you have all these trucks that are like waiting at the border of California for, for goods to be brought to them. And then they can load up from there and then take it out to the country. It's just like, there's all these like built in barriers to actually getting the supply chains going and we should figure out a way to clear them up. Yeah, no, I, I think uh, Americans having, the funds to actually consume. Uh, yes, that that did cause, um, you know, a lot of spending, but I don't think that's that's a bad thing. It shouldn't be a bad thing for our economy, for Americans to have disposable income and to be able to consume, particularly after a couple of months where they had none. So of course that caused a, a you know, kind of like, a, 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 I guess like a pressure you know, explosion, like you're holding a, a hose and then the hose, you let go of the hose. Of course, there's a huge explosion and we were not prepared or the world was not prepared. So yes, the United States has contributed in that way. And I would agree, but I don't necessarily, you know, I won't blame the American people or blame uh, the government for actually uh, supporting the American people when they needed it uh, with, uh, you know, funds when we're going through COVID. You know, I, I don't think that's a that's a bad thing. Um, I mean, I, I would say I kind of agreed with you, I think, when it was occurring, or at least I felt that way as the money was going out the door. I was like, man, this sucks. And like, let's figure out ways to, to make people whole. But with the benefit of retrospect, I mean, the, the inflationary pressure is like legitimate. So right now, people are poorer than they were at this time last year. Poorer. Now, wages have gone up. But costs have gone up much higher than wages have. So and by extension, so, so, you know, whatever money you have in your bank account, it's not going to go as far this year as it would have last year. And one of the reasons for that is when you dump $1.9 trillion in new spending into the economy, much of it printed cash. This is not cash that was taken via tax revenue and then sent right back out the door. A lot of this is just money that was printed by the Fed. That's going to have a that's going to have an impact. It's going to make everything much more expensive, and it's going to make it so that we're all a, a bit poorer. And uh, we should I, I don't know. Don't you think we should like hesitate before we print like another three, four, five trillion dollars in cash? Yeah, no, I, I think um, you know uh, whenever you dump a bunch of cash in an economy, and there will be at least temporary inflation. That's that's just like economics one hundred and one. You know, right. macroeconomics one hundred and one. Right. That is true. And I think, you know, Janet Yellen or whoever's in, in control right now, they everybody knew that. The question is, is it going to cause long-term inflation? Um, mm -hmm. And the answer to that will depend on if we uh, can beat the virus. You know, if we can beat this virus, get things back to normal, um, I think you're going to see the inflationary pressure that we're seeing right now uh, start to bottom out. And that's that that was the assumption um, before Delta kind of took hold was this was a temporary short term situation. And there are also a lot of good signs in our in our economy. Of course, we know um, 
unemployment is down under 5%. Um, you know, our, our economy isn't completely collapsed right now. The supply chain stuff does hurt. But I think we're, you know, overall, I think people are, you know, because of their partisan leanings, want to make things seem worse than they really are here in this country. And they're, they're really not as bad as, as uh, I think your partisan pundit that you're watching on your favorite cable news station is making it seem. So what's the threshold for it being bad in your view then? Because like right now, gas is uh, 50% higher than it was this time last year. So if you drive down the street, you need to fill up your car. I mean, you definitely feel the difference, especially, especially if you're living paycheck to paycheck. That means a lot to you that your gas is that much more expensive. You know, food products not available in stores, or if they are, they're definitely marked up six, seven, 10% things like bacon that much more you go to target right now my wife went to target the other day she said like you can look down the aisles the store shelves you can see there's like all these spaces where products used to be and not filled uh clearly because of the supply chain um delays at what point do we assess okay there is a real problem going on here no I, i think that there is there is a problem but as i said about the the supply chain stuff that's a global issue that's not something that uh the united states uh, is experiencing alone and that the United yeah. States is alone responsible for. Can I submit so, something to you? Can I submit sure. something to you? Which is sure. like, and we, this came up in our conversation with Ryan Grimm. Why don't we manufacture this crap in the United States? Like, like right now that all the solutions are, we got to figure out a way to ease up our supply lines to better import all this stuff from China. And I'm sitting here wondering, wait a second, like, how do we get this stuff back into America? Like, why isn't Maine producing all of our toilet paper? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. w- like, why isn't that the conversation? Because I'm not really hearing it. Like, I'm, th- I'm talking from both political parties. I've heard very limited conversation on this subject, if any. I saw Josh Hawley say something about it this week, but that was it. I haven't seen anybody else talking about reshoring American manufacturing and our supply chain woes and all of this dependence on foreign countries would not be there if we actually had Americans producing goods and us buying American products. So I, I think a lot of that has to do, um, and, and for anybody who has an opportunity to watch the conversation with Ryan Grimm, it's amazing. Uh, Ryan Grimm is a really smart guy and we yeah. had a great conversation. Um, I think that, of course, uh, it would be good, but I, I would say the answer to that is corporate greed. You know, um, it's much cheaper to... Uh, produce something in El Salvador yep. or in Taiwan yep. than it is to pay an American worker what, America, what an American worker deserves to be paid and a living wage that an American worker needs. Um, there are people on the far right, you know, the Larry Elders of the world who would say, you know, there should be no minimum wage, you know, the minimum wage should be zero, et cetera. But, you know, Americans and, and American workers and American unions are going to demand that American workers get paid what they deserve to be paid. Mm-hmm. And for, you know, corporates, uh, co- uh, corporations that want uh, big profits, that bites into their profit margin. So they're going to go That's to Taiwan. Right. That's so right. I think, you know, we're, um, I, I, you know, the other answer is that a lot of things do get made uh, in the United States. And, and let's hope I have a job next week after I say this. But even at the University of Maryland, where I work, uh, all of our furniture is made with prison labor. Mm-hmm. They have a non-compete contract and all of our furniture, every desk that I sit on, you know, every chair that I sit in, 
every chair, every student sit in, every, every bed that every student sleeps in um, is made by prison labor where they're getting paid 90 cents a day or 90 cents an hour or whatever the rate is. So again, a lot of this, and of course the Trump administration was for private prisons and this, this isn't a skill that they learn. They don't actually learn carpentry and, and a lot of the skills. Mm-hmm. A lot of these things are just kind of put things together. Uh, so they come out and they really aren't marketable skills. They don't have marketable skills mm. uh, later on. And so, but they're undercutting the American worker because they don't have to pay the minimum wage. They're paying you less than uh, people would get paid in Taiwan. That's so, that's interesting. Do you have any sense? I, I know you're passionate about this issue. I'm not as passionate about it because I, I figured, well, you're in prison. It's good that you have your time to occupy doing something. Um no, and, no, they, they want jobs. I just think that they should be given a job that has a marketable skill. I got you. But when they get out, do you know, do you have any sense of like how many goods, like what percentage of goods in America are actually made by prison labor? Is it like a meaningful percentage or is this kind of just like a small thing? Um, I have to, I have to look that up in 2021. Okay. Uh, all right. Certainly in the past, uh, it was a meaningful amount and a lot of companies, uh, every company that you could probably name, whether it's Texas Instruments or Honey. Yeah. Well, or, you know, all these big corporations were using prison labor. Um, so I huh. think that, again, my, my thing is that it un- undercuts, yes. you know, hardworking American people. Yeah. And it also is a lot of busy work that doesn't give the prisoner when they gets out, you know, because, you know, 95% of these prisoners are going to get out of prison. And they're going to be looking for jobs. Right. And they can't say, I assembled something on an assembly line. And someone's going to be like, oh, I want to hire you. That's a skill. Well, that's because we don't have a manufacturing jobs anymore. So that, that skill is useless here. Right. Um, no, no, this kind of, no, it's a good question. These are, this is a good topic. I like that topic. I'd be, I'd be intrigued to know more for sure and to talk to you more about this. But yeah, I just I'll, think I'll find that. The- I'll find the, the the statistics and we'll come back and talk more. About no, it. please do. But that your your fundamental point, corporate greed. Yes. And it's aligned with political greed. So these these politicians and their donors and their their quest to protect them and all the crony capitalism we have going on in Washington, it just continues unabated. And that's how we end up with this system. And this is why I said, like, yeah, you know, remove the incentives for them to go to places where people can be abused um in terms of their labor or environments can be abused abused in terms of their environmental standards just say hey whatever standards we have in this in the united states if you're going to go out of country to get this product maybe maybe german watchmakers are the absolute best and i think they are then go to germany that's fine the only requirement is you have to keep that your labor standards need to be the same as they are in the united states your environmental standards need to be the same as they are in the united states right and if that's the case then what's going to happen American manufacturers, American companies, and anybody who wants to do business in the United States of America is going to be able to do it cheaper here because they won't have to rely on international supply lines in order to get the product in. Yeah, no, I agree. There's, we're we're gonna we're gonna agree there. That's one place where we'll find some agreement is uh, that they should, if you're gonna go to Taiwan, that Taiwanese person should not be working in a sweatshop uh, with. Uh, you know, in unsafe conditions, uh, having their labor exploited, you know, making a $150 shoe uh, for $2 an hour. Um, That's just not fair for an American company to be involved in that. And they should be forced to stay within American standards, even when they go overseas. So I I agree with you 100%. As a matter of fact, the 
the element that we all have in all of our electronics, particularly in our phones and our laptops, yes. comes from Central Africa. But yet, that's you mean one rare of the, earths and lithium and yeah, uh, I thought it was cobalt or a cobalt, maybe. something mm-hmm. with a C. A- any, anyway, um, whatever that element is, mm-hmm. um, it is in all of our electronics, probably in the cameras that we're speaking into right now. And yet, the people there who mine that stuff, by the way, are damn near starving. Yeah. You know, it, it's not right. It's not right. We need that. Now, you know, there's no way to mine that. I think 80% of the world's cobalt, if I'm not mistaken, if that's the, the element, mm-hmm. um, is in that part of Africa. And I'm guessing you know? Chinese companies are running the whole show there too. I wouldn't be shocked. Um, let's let's jump in. Certainly involved. Let's jump into another topic here. We got uh, Joy Behar, who's always good for a conversation on The View. Uh, and uh, she has an idea for anybody who doesn't like the curriculum of their child's school. Let's see if we agree. The question is, do parents need more influence here or should they leave the lesson planning to the pros? Uh, well, I was a teacher and there is a curriculum that teachers follow and it's studied by supposedly experts. I have a lot of education uh, credits because you learn how to teach and you learn mm-hmm. your subject. So you can't really pit that up against an, an, a parent who just is annoyed that you're teaching, uh, you know, uh, to kill a mockingbird or whatever the curriculum uh, says. You can't have the parents interfering to that extent in the, in the curriculum. But it's nice to hear from them. But if they are adamant and they don't want you to teach uh, what is going to be taught, period, mm-hmm. they're going to have to homeschool their kids because this is not going to wash. Well, they're, they're actually homeschooling them in increasing numbers. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a, a signal. Uh, first of all, parents ought to be involved in their, their children's uh, yes, education. Should. Their children are in school seven hours. That's a very formative period. And uh, I think parents ought to have a say. We used to have parent-teacher conferences. We mm-hmm. used to have PTAs. There are lots of ways for parents to yeah. be involved, and they should be. But if I could take a moment to talk about the whole issue of critical race theory and what is and is not being taught. Uh, I come out of an academic uh, institution, and uh, this is something that academics debate, what is the role of race and so forth. And and let me be very clear. I grew up in segregated Birmingham, Alabama. Mm -hmm. Um, I couldn't go to a movie theater or to a restaurant with my parents. I went to segregated schools till we moved to Denver. Mm -hmm. My parents never thought I was going to grow up in a world without prejudice, but they also told me, that's somebody else's problem, not yours. You're going to overcome it, and you are going to be anything you want to be. And that's the message that I think we ought to be sending to kids. One of the worries that I have about the way that we're, we're talking about race is that it either seems so big that somehow white people now have to feel guilty for everything that happened in the past. I, I mm-hmm. don't think that's very productive. Or black people have to feel disempowered by mm-hmm. race. I would like black kids to be completely empowered, to know that they are beautiful in their blackness, Mm -hmm. but in order to do that, I don't have to make white kids feel bad for being white. So somehow, this is a conversation that has gone in the wrong direction. that last part, you don't have to watch? Yeah, you know, there's a little bit of it. In order for black kids who, quite frankly, for a long time, the way they were portrayed, the way their history was portrayed, right. it was second-class citizenship. Of course. But I don't have to make white children feel bad about being white How in does... order to overcome the fact that black children uh, were... How does make that it... happen? It, it, it happens. Couple... All right, so that was obviously a big conversation there with Condi Rice 
uh, on the view. Um, that that initial point. So we'll get to Condi Rice in just a minute because I, I think you want to comment on that, Jason. But um, but that Joy Behar remark, like, hey, if you don't like what's going on, homeschool your kids. What they're being taught, homeschool them. Which is it definitely is an option, right? Right. But it strikes me as like this has kind of been the libertarian argument too, which is like like even encouraging people get your kids out of the schools, homeschool them. If you don't like what's being taught, homeschool them, and that's all well and good. But we live we live in a democratic republic where it is essential that we have an informed populace and that the kids who attend these schools. So even if you aren't a parent, you're a taxpayer who's funding the schools. And the reason for that is the next generation of voters going to come out of those schools. So whether or not your kids in the school, you do have a vested interest in what's being taught within those schools. So just pulling your kid out and homeschooling them doesn't necessarily, although it's good for your kid, potentially, um, it doesn't necessarily lead to better outcomes for your country. Yeah, so I, I, I you know, it, believe it or not, I have kind of mixed feelings about this. Um, and I've talked about this with a, a lot of different people who have different views on this, because this has actually been a discussion and an argument in African-American communities a lot. And that is because a lot of the education is not geared toward African-American students. Um, so a lot of what you're seeing where people are trying to teach justice and equity in classrooms is because for a long time, it was not taught. And it was, it was, uh, you know, there was a version of history and a version of education that excluded and sometimes uh, was detrimental to African-American students. Um, and you, on top of the individual prejudices that African-American students suffer in the classroom. Um, now, one of the quotes that I actually love from, from Malcolm X, was he said only a fool would allow his enemy to teach his children. Mm -hmm. Now, hopefully we don't look at our, our countrymen as our enemies, but there are many African-American people who have thought, hey, um, the way we should do this is we should open our own schools. Um, not just homeschool them, but open our own schools that where the curriculum is focused in a way that will uh, better serve our children. Um, kind of like what you have in at HBCU, um, just have that at the K-12 level. And many people have done that through charter schools. Um, the, the HBCU, seen, Jason, I, let me ask, uh, the HBCU phenomenon mm -hmm. grew out of lack of access to our institutions, right? I mean, that's why sure. HBCUs were created. That, mm -hmm. that, is, that is not the issue now. The idea here would be to create separate spaces kind of on a segregated basis like okay like and this is this kind of goes back to a conversation we've had before like you know separate graduations at harvard based on skin color it's not i think that's a sign of regression whereas like a sign of the hbcu was a sign of progression like hey you're gonna stiff arm us out of this institution that's fine mm -hmm. we'll create our own right and but the thing is if you're not getting the same quality if you're gonna teach my kid in a way uh, that is detrimental to his or her self-esteem. That's mm -hmm. detrimental to his or her self-worth. Yes. And they're not, and they're getting basic lies about yes. society and who they are. Yes. Then we need to find another way so that my kid gets educated in the right way. So that you I don't totally brainwash agree. my kid 
as a black child to hate him or herself. I totally so, agree. Uh, many people have started, like I said, charter schools, uh, which get public funding um, and started other, you know, independent schools and sometimes homeschool. I have friends who homeschool their children because they don't like what their children were being taught or what was being omitted oftentimes yes. Yes. Um, in, in the school systems. Um, I don't understand why it is that teaching about uh, segregation, teaching about what happened, the cruelty of slavery, the cruelty of segregation, That's right. why that would make anyone feel bad about themselves. As you said, and as many have said, um, you know, not blaming you for what your great grandfather did, you know, he was, his, he was his own man or his own, or your great grandmother was her own woman. Um, so if you feel bad for that, that's kind of on you, you know what I mean? Because nobody's, nobody's blaming you for anything. Um, what I think many people are trying to show is how, what is all of our responsibility Mm -hmm. is how to make our society better and more equitable for all people. Um, and I think that, you what know, is the, edu go ahead. Sorry, I just, I, uh, only because I think you and I, I don't know if we do, but might have different definitions of what the word equity means. When you say equitable or, or teaching equity, what do you mean by it? Uh, I think of equity as a, <clears throat> so I look at it in two different ways. I look at equity uh, when you look it up, uh, in this context, it's a synonym for justice. Uh-huh. So meaning more just. Um, I also think of equity in, in the in the economic sense. Um, and just apply it here where everybody kind of has a buy-in and some ownership over society. Right. Um, so I look at it in two different ways. And I think that again, if everybody has kind of a buy-in and their piece of society. I think that that is what is just. Um, so I think that they are related in that way. So that's what I, I mean when I say equity. And I, I really hope that, you know, children learn, you know, I mean, we want to teach, you know, brotherhood, but we also want to be honest about the mistakes that we've made in the past. Mm -hmm. You know, I think it would be, you know, and I, being someone who was raised around a lot of a lot of Jewish kids, one of the things that they are always clear about is never forget, never forget what happened. Right. Never forget the atrocities. You know. Right. Um, and I think African American people, this idea that our society is trying to tell us, forget about it. It's yeah. over. I think that that's a mistake. Oh, I yeah, think the, I see the, the Jewish people are absolutely correct. Never forget that. Always bring it up. Yeah. So I so what I'm what I'm worried about is the efforts to like only teach part of history, like to basically to like remove fake. For instance, in in New York this week, this is like a perfect expression at the moment we're living in. Um, the city council is removing a statue of Thomas Jefferson mm -hmm. from City Hall. And it's like, it's, it's what you're removing Thomas Jefferson, like of all people, Thomas Jefferson is about as an essential of a figure as you can get in American history. And the kind of guy whose, whose, whose words and wisdom deserve a place of honor in our history. Now, did Thomas Jefferson have sins? Totally. Um, people are complicated. Absolutely. 
Uh, but Thomas Jefferson served as the basis for, you know, we've discussed this before, for Frederick Douglass calling us to recognize, you know, where we were failing as a country and move forward in order to fulfill the promises that Thomas Jefferson laid out in the Declaration of Independence. So it's, it's just amazing to me that there, we're in this moment where um, it's, it's, almost, it's almost like the Chinese Cultural Revolution or, or, or Orwellian, where we just sort of try and like erase figures or remove them or constrain what people know about history rather than teaching it holistically. And no, that's, I'm, that's the peril we're entering into, I think. I'm 100% for teaching history holistically, but mm -hmm. there's no avoiding uh, the brutality of slavery. There's no avoiding the exactly. unfairness of Jim Crow. And many of those, while we talk about it, like it's such a bygone era, like I told you, you know, my dad's a young spry man who could probably beat both of us in a foot race. Mm -hmm. And he remembers segregation. Sure. He remembers being turned away. Yes. You know, uh, the two people who ran for president were both alive during segregation, you know, uh, mm -hmm. in the last election. Mm -hmm. two guys who were alive during that time and have both made comments that are you know uh i would say a little on the the racist side of things but my thing is you know we we can't forget those elements of our history and i think teaching about uh frederick Douglass, i'm sorry not frederick Douglass, um thomas jefferson mm -hmm. holistically is important i'm personally this is my personal belief I don't believe in statues. You know what I mean? I don't believe in statues of anybody. You know, I think if you're going to have a statue, it should be in a museum. Even, even Frederick Douglass. I, that's just my personal belief. I mean, since we have them, we should have ones of people who I think are more honorable, you know, uh, and who really live the principles that uh, Thomas Jefferson laid out, like a Frederick Douglass or like a Harriet Tubman or some of the other great Americans that we've had. But I honestly don't think we should, I think we should venerate ideas. You mm -hmm. know, we should venerate those ideas that, that Thomas Jefferson wrote about rather than the human beings because human, because human beings are always flawed. And we see the people who put up statues as we've seen around the world, a lot of times they end up getting torn down um, because there are groups who are offended by the statue, but there's no one in the world, at least in our part of the world, um, or there are very few anyway, who would be offended by the principles upon which the United States was founded. There, there's, I mean, I don't know of any black person, any white person, anyone in between who was offended by the principles upon which the US was founded. I know if, one. If you look at any groups, like the Black Panther Party. Yeah. If you look at groups like Dr. King and the Civil Rights Movement. Right. They all cite, you know, like the Black Panther Party cited the Bill of Rights, you know what I mean? Or, or the yeah. preamble in, in their 10 point platform. I know one lady who doesn't like it, Nicole Hannah Jones. Nicole Hannah Jones, who. That's who, not true. Her 1619 project, she That's wrote, true. she wrote, well, let me just make this claim and then you can rebut it if it's not true. Sure. She wrote that America's revolution was fought to preserve slavery. And that was not true. That was not true. That, you know, the so, and the Declaration of Independence, of course, very much a part of that American revolution. Um, and so she doesn't look back on the founding 
and defend it. She she attacks it and um and she does it on the on a false basis. The American Revolution was not fought fought for the preservation of slavery. Well, you're talking about two different things here. Um, I, I agree with you that the American Revolution was not fought uh, to preserve slavery. Many black people fought in the American Revolution uh, on the side of the Americans, and then many fought on the side of the Americans in 1812 too, but just more fought on the side of the British uh, because the British promised freedom where the Americans did not. Um, so I, I, I agree with you that that war was not fought to preserve slavery. And I think anybody who's a historian, uh, most historians would agree with that. Mm -hmm. um, but we're talking about, I'm talking about the Bill of Rights and our Constitution, not the revolution. I think those are two different things. No one looks at what's written, and Nicole Hannah-Jones would not look at what's written in the Bill of Rights and say, uh, I don't like the First Amendment. You know, she probably doesn't uh, like the second like amendment. I don't like the fourth amendment. <laughs> I, you know. I, the second amendment, you know, you know. Well, you there are know. people who, who, who <laughs> interpret the second amendment differently, mm -hmm. who say, okay, the, the second amendment was uh, relevant at a particular time, but the King of England isn't coming back. So it's not necessarily relevant today. Those are, those are different issues. Um, but I think there's nobody who looks at you know life liberty and the pursuit of happiness and says i don't want to pursue happiness you know like there's nobody who does that you know that i that i know of there are people like dr king said in his final speech yeah april 4th 1968 what he said was all we're saying is live up to what you said on paper that's right yes you know and that's where most americans fall and i think nicole hannah jones would say that America, largely, when it comes to Black people and many other groups, has failed to live up to its promise. And so the goal is, in education and in other ways, hopefully to educate our children to try to live up to the promise of America. There's nothing more patriotic than that. That's yes. what I don't get. You know, this is a patriotic idea, but people are somehow against it and saying, oh, but it makes my kid feel bad. Maybe you need to talk to your kid and ask them why it is that they feel bad about the actions of their ancestors 50 years ago or 100 years ago. Well, I think what people oppose is not not education about history. Like, I I don't know. I mean, maybe there are some people who oppose I education about history. That's why they're, they're banning hidden figures. Yeah. What we're seeing, what we're seeing in, in like grade schools is like classrooms being segregated and and like, and basically, and people need to rec you need to recognize your privilege because of the color of your skin. I mean, it's also stupid and, and um, bigoted, truly. And whereas like, I agree with you on, on the core point, which is like, they should be taught the totality of American history and stop burdening people with their race right now and instead talk about the failures of our past uh, and whatever failures we have at the current moment, it totally inbounds, of course. But to, to cause children to be, um, you know, this, as we've called it before, it's, it's a form of racism, but this race essentialism that basically your outcome in life will be dictated by the color of your skin, it's garbage. We should stop preaching it to our children. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll just say this. Um, this is something that we have, uh, you know, that is clearly demonstrated 
in studies and surveys, uh, many academic studies can show that race is a determining factor in a lot of uh, your life outcomes. The question is, how do we fix that? And like I said, racism and white supremacy are a cancer. The worst thing you can do with cancer is just say, oh, I don't have it. I'm going to deny it. Yes, there's a tumor growing off my body. But, you know, I'm just going to, you know, it makes me feel bad to think about it. So I'm not going to talk about it. I'm not, I'm certainly not going to try and cure it. Uh, I'm just going to, or, or treat it. I'm just going to, you know, see where this goes. And that tumor is going to get bigger, bigger, and bigger until it kills mm -hmm. you. Yeah, but normally with and cancer, that's what's you can... going on in this society when we don't acknowledge uh -huh. that there are advantages to whiteness. There just are. And again, whiteness isn't white people, and it doesn't deny the hard work that white people do. I know really hardworking white folks. I know some really lazy black folks. <laughs> you know what I mean? Okay, but like, remember the remember the uh, museum of the National Museum of African American History in Washington, D.C. came out with that like yes. controversial like pamphlet that was like describing whiteness and it included things like punctuality and <laughs> like, you know, just like these is like it's just all these sort of like, you know, basic things that like anybody who anybody who would like achieve anything in life would do like kind of the idea was like merit of any kind would be considered whiteness. It was like it, it was flatly racist. It was it was suggestive that like that being able to show up somewhere somewhere on time is only a white thing. And yeah, I, I, I mean, I didn't see that pamphlet. But that's, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I, I can't really comment on it. Um, I think punctuality, uh, you know, I know this is going to be off topic and I know our producers are yelling at us right yeah, now. I know, going on so <laughs> they long. already are. But, but it, it's interesting. Uh, a friend of mine I was just talking to um who is kind of like he's a martial artist he's kind of like a life coach spiritual kind of guy oh. so i talk to him every now and again and one of the things that he was telling me is that he had one of his clients who was somebody who was really successful super successful but showed up everywhere late mm -hmm. to the point where his wife was complaining everybody was complaining yes and what it came down to that they you know discovered together was that whenever he felt some kind of anxiety about something, it was basically an avoidance. So a big meeting, he showed mm -hmm. up late and it was basically his mind was telling him, I don't want to go there. I don't want to go there. I don't want to go there. So he would be late, you know, or if it was, uh, you know, something that he had to do, like it uh -huh. was, you know, we were going to, you know, spar at martial arts. And he's like, I'm going to get punched in the face by, by Dr. Nichols. I don't <laughs> want to go. I don't want to go. I don't want to go. And he would show up late. Um, so I, I think, you know, putting that on race rather than other issues that have to do yeah. uh, with punctuality as you know, and I'm saying this as somebody who, who showed up for the show late today. Apologize. Well, so did I. And by the way, like we're not even sticking to our schedule for how to talk about these issues. We're like way over time right now. So it's, yeah, but this and, is and it's, interesting. And it's, and it's both of our fault. <laughs> yeah, but this is interesting. This is what I argue with our producer. First of all, I want to give a shout out to our producer, Gary. Um, uh, yeah, he's yeah. going to be taking a step away for a while. I just want to say on camera. Jason. We love yeah, because of me. We love you. We love all the work you've done. We really appreciate you. Um, we appreciate everything that you've done um, over these last couple of weeks. Uh, we're wishing you the best, and we hope that you come back to us 
So shout out to our producer, Gary. We love you. Peace out. Let's go on to this next topic. Okay. But before we do, I should tell people that uh, Vincent Jason Save the Nation is brought to you in all of its completely unbound, not sticking to time form <laughs> by the great folks at Goldco. All right. Thank you, Goldco. All right. Let's take a look at this next clip. A uh, little uh, Dave Chappelle for you. There was a protest outside of uh, Netflix this week and uh, a another comedian showed up with a sign and he was expressing how much he like Dave Chappelle. Uh, here is that. That's what a protest looks like at Netflix. <laughs> a complete disaster. What what a move, though. This guy holding up his sign to support Dave Chappelle. Another guy rips off the sign portion, leaving him holding only a stick. And the guy who ripped the sign apart then goes, he's got a weapon. Like, what? What are you talking about? How did, how did we get there? This escalated very quickly. Yeah, it was, it was kind of a strange thing. Of course, this guy was trying to be a provocateur and go he, viral. The sign uh, said, we like Dave. Yeah, and he was like, Dave Chappelle is funny. And I'm like, yeah, Dave Chappelle is funny. You're not, but Dave Chappelle definitely is funny. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I, I just want to say I, I empathize with, with the protesters. Um, Why? I understand where they're coming from in terms of feeling like, I mean, it does feel like, yo, Dave, let's get past this whole transgender thing. The jokes on the last one, fine. They were good. But now it's like, yo, we're doing another special on this, bro? Um, but I, I mean, will, I will it say seemed this. like, sorry, it just seemed like Chappelle, like seemed pretty animated. I mean, if you watch the special, like it seems like one of the reasons he even put this all together is because these transgender activists had so aggressively went after his transgender friend comedian that they killed themselves. And so he puts together this special where he's like, you know, what's crazy. Like the people are coming after me and they're coming after anybody associated with me to the point that they committed suicide. That's insane. So, so he, 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 one of the points that he made, he's like, I don't know what else was going on in that person's life. So we don't know that it was just the internet anger um, that caused that person to commit suicide. Um, mm -hmm. But 
Yeah, no, I and and I just want to say that I, I am partly, not even partly, I'm I'm empathetic to to what it is that you know the the trans people are worried about. There are people getting killed. Not so it's not just suicide, that's happening too. But you know, when you look at the statistics for trans people, particularly black trans people, yeah, um, you know, the amount of homelessness, uh, unemployment, suicide, and murder uh, of black trans people is off the charts. Mm-hmm. And so I understand why they are concerned when someone who is who is as influential as Dave Chappelle, they feel that he's taking aim at them. When I saw it, I didn't necessarily feel that way. But then again, I realized that my identity isn't trans. So I don't get to decide when trans people, when you've crossed the line for trans people. What I will say is this. I think if you're going to advocate for anything at Netflix, it's not taking Dave Chappelle off. If I were to be at that protest supporting trans people, I would say to Netflix, why don't you platform more trans comedians? Why don't you give, you know, I, I, I'm always a believer in the concept of, you know, shout out to my man, Bomani Arma, who introduced me to this concept. Instead of a boycott, I, I, in many cases, not all, but in many cases, I am someone who believes in what he calls a boycott, which is rather than just talk about who you don't support, elevate who you do support. Mm-hmm. So let's platform some some trans comedians. And actually, that would help Dave Chappelle too, because Dave Chappelle wanted to help this one trans comedian get up there. There are other trans comedians who could tell a different narrative than what Dave Chappelle is telling from the perspective of a trans person. Let's get some, and I know there's actually one trans comedian who I heard who was absolutely hilarious. You know, let's platform, let's give that person a special. Let's give some other, you know, let's platform trans people so that we can get a perspective on trans identity that's not coming from a cisgender man mm-hmm. um, or a cisgender male or however. I, I think that, um, you know, advocating for what you want to see rather than just criticizing what you don't want to see. And this is kind of, you know, I guess going into the last thing that we were talking about, that's kind of where I'm coming from with, you know, in some cases, if you don't like what's going on in the school system, you can either create a school or homeschool your kids. I think you should be able to take control of that. Um, And I think instead of trying to take stuff down, uh, which will just honestly just animate the people who, who are against you, how about platforming and giving more opportunities to trans comedians and to people in the trans community? Yeah, honestly, stop I- destroying stuff, start building stuff. I'm for it. I think that's a basic, that's a good idea. Um, but there's this, this yeah, there's the, this intense pressure to like um, just hurt people you disagree with. Uh, and we've seen like far too much of that. So I, on that, on that, on that front, I agree. I don't know if Netflix has to do it. Netflix can do whatever they want, obviously. Yeah, they can do what they want, but- but um well it's funny you say that because you, you don't say that about twitter or you know facebook it's a question of scale for me so the smaller yep. you are the more you can get away with i think in terms of your independent judgment the bigger you are the more power you wield especially over the conversation for the whole country and now it's kind of all of our problems 
Yeah. I'd argue Netflix globally has probably just as big a reach as Twitter. Um, that, that would be, you know, I could be wrong about that. I'll, I'll accept it if I'm wrong. No, I'm but. sure it does have the big reach. I, the difference for me is sort of the stranglehold on the public conversation that these companies have. That's, that's the thing that really stands out. It's like when you reach monopoly status, not just in terms of the market, but in terms of um, social influence and the ability to control the flow of information for mankind, it's worth taking another look. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Um, I think that's, a, that's important. And I, I think that I would just argue that Netflix is on the same scale in terms of you know, the conversation um, that it can control because it controls a large portion of uh, media. And, you know, people consume their media. A lot of people don't watch TV. They watch Netflix. Mm-hmm. That's where the term Netflix and chill comes from. Mm-hmm. It's not, but technically Plus that's and chill. It's not Disney plus and chill. It's Netflix. and chill. That's right. But technically Netflix and chill really doesn't involve watching Netflix. Let's just be yeah. clear. <laughs> right. Right. Um, that, that is true. Um, but I, I think it's, I think it's important um, uh-huh. for us to support what it is, um, support more voices, support what it is that we, that we're for, that we advocate for. Um, rather than always trying to take people down and deplatform them. Um, and Dave Chappelle is going to be okay no matter what. I think the one thing, though, that I did hear that kind of resonated about Dave Chappelle was uh, this one writer, I think, for NPR, uh, wrote this article where he said the, the problem that he had with Dave Chappelle's uh, comedy special was that People in the trans community, he's even talking about people in the trans community trying to have a conversation with him. He's talking about, you know, I just want to have the conversation. I just want to talk. I just want to tell jokes. But when people from the trans community tried to approach him and speak back, he didn't, you know, he was talking about how he didn't want to hear it and how he was he would shut them down. Now, again, I do think that there is a time and a place for every conversation. Like, don't come up to me because you watch Vince and Jason save the nation, the seven of you. Um, don't come up to me while I'm taking a piss in the bathroom and want to have bathroom. a political debate. I thought you, know you did I mean? that outside. Oh, that that too. Even if I'm outside, don't come <laughs> up to me. You know, don't, you know, when I'm sitting there, you know, having lunch with my kids. Don't ruin don't, this for me. <laughs> yeah, th- no, I mean, don't, don't come up. There's a, there's a time and a place, you know, don't, don't come up to me when, when I'm doing that. That's right. You know, um, there are times where, you know, you can see where I'm open to a conversation and there are times where respectfully, you know, number one, you should know. And then there are other times where I'll be like, sorry, I- I'm not really looking to discuss that right mm-hmm. now. You know, um, and I think people should respect that. But, you should start wearing the Kanye West mask in public. Have you seen what he's been wearing? Uh, no, no. He's been, uh, he's been wearing this crazy mask. He went out with Michael Cohen to like, apparently the two of them were sitting down to like a lunch at a beast. Wait, 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 wait. Michael <laughs> Cohen? The Michael Cohen? Michael yeah, Cohen? Mike, yeah, the Michael Cohen. Yeah, that's right. So Kanye goes out Mia with Culpa? Michael Cohen. Michael Cohen? <laughs> to get, a, um, this is blowing my mind here, but yeah. Let's right, try to get Michael by. Cohen on the show. Picture. I'm going to show you this picture. You're going to freak. Look at this. This is Kanye West went out with Michael Cohen and look at the mask he's wearing. Oh, wow. That's so the crazy. two of them, the two of them went out to lunch and he was trying to stay undercover 
<laughs> people just kept coming up. They're like, can I take a picture with you, Kanye? <laughs> <laughs> so obviously Kanye, I guess. <laughs> and so, and so, uh, yeah, that's Kanye West. Michael, he was seeking real estate advice, I guess. I guess the two of them were talking real estate. Uh, Michael Cohen is not the person I would go to for advice, but I'll tell you this. Michael Cohen, when he was about to go to jail, Michael Cohen looked super fit. <laughs> you know what I mean? He was working out. Now that he's out of jail, everything went away. He's like, yo, I don't need do it any anymore. <laughs> he wanted to get he wanted to get jacked before he got in there. You know, I got to take <laughs> care of yourself. All right. Jason Nichols, thank you as always. It's been good talking to you today. And uh, we will reconvene next week. We have a big guest next week. Uh, and uh, looking forward to sharing that with you and so much more on Vincent Jason Save the Nation. Get it wherever you find a podcast. You can definitely get it on YouTube. Like, subscribe, comment, share right there. And make sure to check out our buddies, Daily Call Live with Joe Bob, as well as David Hookstead on the Hookstead Show. They're producing great content. Hat tip to the great Gary, our producer. Really appreciate you and appreciate you, Jason Nichols. Take care. Thank you. Peace.